All right, people. Welcome to Jessica Jones, Season 1, Episode 7, a.k.a. Top Shelf Perverts. And every time I see the word perverts now, I want to say preverts because of uh, Rocket Raccoon from Guardians of the Galaxy. It's a much cooler um, name, or word, I should say. Netflix original series with Marvel and ABC. They've got quite a nice little thing going. Um, as promised in the last couple commentaries for JJ, I did some research on the fourth and most mysterious of the Defender is going to be on Netflix, named Iron Fist. Actually, a really cool character. Um, and the most superhero-y, um, and the most superhero-y of them all. Uh, and that's part of why they have to save him for last, because the budgets can need to be pretty big. There it is. Brian Michael Bendis. Here comes the music. I really want to get this on my, um, iPhone. I wonder if there's a longer version of this music. Um, anyways. This is definitely one of the best three or four episodes um, in the series, in my opinion. The next three episodes starting here is really what takes the series from good to very good to all-time great, in my opinion. And although the initial pilot was fantastic, they really hit their stride here. And this is arguably the most important character moment or uh, development with J.J. I mean, this is exactly the middle of the series, episode 7 of 13. It's already starting meditatively. Because it is in this episode that we learn that she will go to all lanes to stop Kilgrave. Because everyone who's dying, you know, because she won't do what Kilgrave says, she just can't take it. And (laughs) although the, the idea... The extreme idea of how to accomplish what she wants to accomplish, which is getting herself arrested and put in maximum security prison, is harebrained. That's the whole point. She's getting desperate, and so she's losing her rationality here. And this is the episode where her friends have to come save her, where they really become a team, at least briefly. And it's a beautiful thing. It's also the second full episode where Kilgrave has a uh, main arc. Oh, he's in Jessica's office. I totally forgot that he made contact with her space this early. This is where he kills Ruben. This is so sad. It's it's the death of Ruben that makes Jessica go to extremes during this episode. <laughs> Who are you? Oh, yeah. The lights are off to suggest no one's here. I guess someone is here. Oh, poor Ruben. And he says he loves her. But, uh... Kilgrave misinterprets it big time. He loves her as a friend. He does have a crush on her. Because I love her. Boom. And he, I mean, the fact that he would be threatened by this kid at all is absurd. Oh, this is great. Look at this. She's supposed to be on the job. He thinks she's just drinking. I was just leaving. They throw her in the trash bag. Oh, man. You didn't kick me out. I left. Oh, this is fantastic, this exchange here. You stink. <laughs> All right, she's still hung up on the piece of shit from Luke. Got a dollar. Nope. She's got a sandwich card. (laughs) (laughs) Now they're using sub instead of hoagie. Very inconsistent. Is that Blimpy's where she used to work with the sign from the last episode? This is great. Because you still think she's just drinking, you know, on her own time. Nope. She's waiting to threaten Wendy. And gonna derail the entire Kilgrave project by what she's about to do, and she has no idea that that is the case. And she's drunk, and she's sick of it, and she doesn't want to have to deal with this shit. You know, it's a stupid favor in the first place. They both should know this isn't gonna work, especially Carrie Ann Moss. You know, I mean, JJ is a PI, one of the best in the city. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss playing Hogarth is a lawyer, one of the best in the city, and one of the keys to being good at both of those jobs is patience. But they both lose it for different reasons having to do with Wendy. And this threatening causes Jerry to get desperate later in regards to Kilgrave, and uh, ultimately sets the arc that runs the last four or five episodes. 
So here we see Jessica at her worst and most base. Hey, Wendy. You know, uh, it, like this is a critical plot element, but it's also brilliant. They put it in the beginning to contrast with her, you know, <laughs> absurdly, you know, outsized uh, sacrifice or attempted sacrifice later. I, I, yeah, Jessica, she must actually be drunk. She's slurring more than usual. She's walking weird. She must be really drunk this time to think that this will accomplish anything. You know, I mean, because when she does this to rich men um, who she has no relation to, you know, like in the first episode when she stops the car and threatens the guy with her laser eyes, it can work. But in this situation where it's personal and uh, Wendy knows that she's basically a freak that's working for her evil ex-wife, that black oozing shit inside you, she's taking out her own self-hatred on her. This is probably the most that Kristen Ritter overacts in terms of her vocal delivery in the entire um in the entire series. Uh-oh. Not here, but just when she was delivering that, you know, self-pitying, self-loathing speech. Uh but it works with her being drunk for sure. Being overly dramatic as most people get when they're when they're uh when they're <laughs> toasted as we say. So she's really thinking of killing herself. This is so important. Boom. It's a very Matrix-esque scene. I mean, it's even green in the train station. Jess there. Wendy's there. And Wendy's there. Jess is there. It's the F train. Jess is gone. I've been on the F train a lot. Used to live by the F train. I loved it uh, when it was working. It was great. Outdoor stations. Takes you right from the heart of Brooklyn to the heart of downtown and then midtown. <laughs> so this is the best look for Malcolm. This is the total, like, the hipster look where you would hate this guy based on how he's dressed. But since we know Malcolm, I mean, the, the hiked up socks, Adidas stuff all over the place. I love Adidas. Adidas is the one, like, open brand name that I'm happy to endorse. The headband, he's got the fro going. He looks good. You know, he's now having to help her. He owes her big time, which is, oh, God, here it comes. <sighs> so, you know, I say in The Wire, when people are having trouble getting into it, that it takes five to six episodes. Battlestar, five episodes. Breaking Bad, one episode. I personally think this is one episode. Oh, there's a banana bread. And even if I didn't, this seventh episode in, you know, I mean, this is this is... This is how greatness is achieved. It feels effortless, despite all the effort. Look at that. They frame it. You know he's there. She's lying next to the dead corpse. Oh, my God. She's covered in blood, and his throat is totally sliced. That's a rated R thing, right? There. I mean, look at that. Holding on the throat slit. He killed himself. He's holding the knife. And this is why Kilgrave isn't, you know, quote-unquote, guilty of anything according to our law, which doesn't take into account mind control. Look at J.J. losing it here. I always talk about in superhero movies uh, that the leads or co-leads or whatever, secondary leads, during highly traumatic moments, you know, like when Scarlet is scared um, of the Hulk in the first Avenger and barely makes that alive. Uh, I guess the best example would be... <laughs> that's Ruben. The best example would be uh, James McAvoy as uh, Professor X in X-Men Days of Future Past when he's been keeping his telepathy out. And in order to save the world, lets it back in and is overwhelmed by the voices in his head. And it could be so corny and cliched, but he just owns it in Academy Award lovable performance. And, you know, I mean, McAvoy owned a movie that was two hours and 15 minutes. He was in about half of that, or, you know, two-thirds. You know, J.J. has to carry an entire series. This has to stop. And here's where she comes up with the idea. We're going to make a stop. Right. Call the police and then what? It looks like, yeah, they'll arrest her. Here it comes. This is the third death I'm directly connected to. I think, you know, she's referring to, obviously, Hope's parents and now Ruben. Um, or it, Riva. 
Then who would be the other one? You needed a sacrificial lamb of someone that they all cared about. This is the Phil Coulson thing in the Avengers. You need to find a weird, quirky, but very lovable and loving person to die in order to unite the team. And this is it. This is when Kilgrave becomes more than just a scary and inconvenient problem. I'll go to jail, right? Has to be their jail. You know, to think Kilgrave would fall for this. Um, but that's what's great about this episode. I won't, I won't jump too far ahead. She gets obsessed with Supermax Prison. She thinks it'll force Kilgrave to come try and mind control people, but there's so many cameras. And Kilgrave knows that she's right, you know? And so even though it's like almost a joke how committed she is to the stupid idea. Kilgrave ultimately thinks it is a, um, a, a good idea for Jessica and a bad idea for him because he has to come to the police station and, and have the cops almost kill each other and, and free her because he doesn't want to have to go through Supermax prison to get her and he's not willing to give her up. Oh, uh, Freeman's in this episode is awesome. Freeman's in the next few episodes. A great side actor. It's, you know, he, he's so brilliant and has so much gravitas. Um, <laughs> uh, in the wire as Freeman, but, uh, you know, it, it kind of oozes out of him, even though his role is a little more comic-y and pulpy here, as it should be. <laughs> right, right. Malcolm's looking on the bright side. Okay, you're not doing it immediately. Any alarm? <laughs> right, and then uh, Carrie Ann Moss, which she hears about this, says, it's my job to keep clients out of prison. Malcolm's platonic crush over her, and really both ways, platonic crush, is very convincing. You know, Malcolm could be gay, he could be straight, he could be other, but assuming that he's straight... Oh, is this more sex with Trish? Okay, so, so far, we've had three graphic sex scenes with JJ. This is our second with Trish, okay? We've now had five graphic, you know, Showtime, HBO-esque sex scenes. The only thing they're not showing is boob, but it's essentially the same. You really, you saw her boob there for a quick second. And I, I, I honestly am not a fan of sex scenes. Now, the, the way they do it with JJ and Luke Cage, where, you know, at just any moment, they just want to fuck in the way they frame it and cut it. Um, but this guy's just so creepy. You know, the lustiness is what makes us for me. You know, Trish ultimately will want a, a caring guy that she can marry, but now she just is out there. So it's all about, you know, it's really all about how the sex scenes are, uh, are framed. Don't talk. She's in charge. That's what's great. Yeah. Whatever you say, boss. Um, because this is a Marvel property and we've never had real sex scenes before, with each new one, they're setting the bar higher and higher. And, you know, Luke and Jessica, we're going to see go into the future. Uh, Jessica's having season two. I don't see how Luke's not in that. Then they have the Defenders team up, or maybe that's first. It's, uh... Right, so this is the exposition that is more important if the show's spaced out a week, but that's okay, because... It's delivered quite smoothly by Miss Rachel Taylor. And what's great about Rachel for me, Rachel Taylor, that is the actress, it, she's so beautiful, obviously. JJ is just more my style. I'm more into girls with dark hair and that are just dark in general. Uh, but, but she's Trish, that is, is so appealing. You know, I talked about earlier that, you know, about... Uh, weird, sexy, crazy Hollywood chicks that I just want to be friends with, including Claire Danes and Kristen Ritter. Well, if Kristen Ritter's there, then we got to have Trish there. Or Rachel Taylor, I should say. Man, can you imagine going around with those two, just just as your your wingmen, you know? Get a couple buddies and roll around with uh, Rachel Taylor and, uh, and Kristen Ritter. That would be a hell of a night. <sighs> yeah, she's, she's actually good at keeping secrets. Spinning the noodles. Okay, so the spinning the noodles thing, whenever you see that, people playing with their food, it's because they have to shoot these scenes so many times that, in some cases, now this is all from one angle, 
now she starts eating a little bit and they go off is 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 if you really have to consume food in a scene you might need to you know literally eat bowls and bowls of pasta or like whole chickens you know to get the right take see she's still pointing the fork in the food now talking and eating is usually for comedic effect this is very serious so having her kind of chew a little bit there's nothing in her mouth maybe she's got gum still hasn't eaten it's brilliant you know they, they can't have rachel uh um Rachel Taylor, you know, eating 10 bowls of pasta a day. Really, that's torment to anyone. I'm not big on, on pasta. So now they're plotting behind Jessica's back about Kilgrave. Without JJ, without knowing what JJ is trying to do. Yeah. We don't get to decide that. Yep. Trish really makes an effort with Simpson to humanize him and not just make him a, you know, insane killer. Right. He doesn't care about help. He just wants Kilgrave gone because of what Kilgrave made him do to Trish. That's what he can't get over. And he eventually tries to kill Trish again, I think, down down the road, you know, as a response to, you know, being forced to kill Trish earlier by Kilgrave. It's like, uh, I hate to make this comparison, but the end of episode three, Revenge of the Sith. Okay, I'm going to comment on this scene in a second. This is... <laughs> Rapid fire. Any pauses will kill by rhythm. Uh. <laughs> I'll, I'll avoid the comparison. It's going to have to do with Anakin Skywalker in episode three strangling Natalie Portman because of his fear that she was going to die. Uh oh. She'll sign. No, she won't. so coming up in a bit when she thinks she's going through with the you know max super max jail or whatever and she climbs to the top of the the bridge right or tower i can't remember looks out i think it's the one time maybe before the very end of the series where they reprise a large chunk of the theme music with the guitars i mean it's it's not even a reinterpretation they just play it straight up uh, in the old days, you'd play part of the theme in every episode during, like, the mid-climax or end-climax. <laughs> right. Are you planning to commit to him? Yeah. Oh, this is so good. All right. Worse criminals. Worse than murderers. Top-shelf perverts meaning cannibal serial killers. Uh, yeah. By top-shelf perverts, she means serial pedophiles, I believe. <laughs> That's uh, very specific. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe Carrie and Moss even talking to her. I don't think she even turns up at the precinct. Right. I keep people out of jail. <laughs> it's already done. She's such a badass. It's great because you, know, you can tell that Kristen Ritter is trying to be a badass. She's not quite as natural of, of a super badass as Claire Danes is, although I think she's growing into it. But it actually makes it more appealing because it's funny and relatable. All right, and this is Malcolm's first real task as a team member, other than just supporting Jessica. But he does the exact right thing. You know, the only thing he does wrong is wait too long to tell Robin, and it just stews inside him. Up. Oh, here comes Robin. Oh, God. I think it's episodes before we get resolution of this. Toothpaste. String bean. <laughs> oh, bull. Where are you? Right, she can smell a lie, but not the truth. Yeah. <laughs> Robin just thinks JJ's a slut. Oh, no, he's looking for booze. Human lie detector. She, I mean, she's so overacts, but that's the point of her character. And when she delivers hilarious lines there, you know, I laugh out loud a lot now that I'm rewatching it with you guys. I tend to laugh more doing a commentary or when I'm watching it with people. Let me smell your breath. <laughs> but, you know, on my multiple viewings before even doing the commentaries of the series, I mean, it might have been two, but it rewatched uh, some episodes of third. Q-Tip. I can't believe she just called him Q-Tip. It's a tribe called Quest reference. It, I mean, it's it would be r slightly racist, but it's just hilarious. 
Oh, uh, yeah, she can't take that. He Okay, so he is really in love with Jessica. Yeah. This actor is amazing in a fl- another flawless American accent from Australia. I don't know what it is about Australians. It's just easy for them. Germans and Australians have an easier time of it than English people. Just a boy. <laughs> She's in the long tradition of insane, uh, you know, quippy, like, redheads that border on annoying but are also hilarious. Like, you know, uh, Kathy, what's her name? Yeah, he's trying to transmit it here about Ruben. <laughs> the harpy. <laughs> I don't know what spell that harpy puts on men, but you have to stop doing her bidding. Oh, man. Best use of harpy ever. I, I think Robin uses, you know, Robin has like five or six lines in this series, uh, as I was trying to get to. that The first time I'm watching this series, I fall off. You know, Kilgrave as well has has five or six at least. And Jessica usually just looks like the badass walk a couple minutes ago or her being drunk in bed, her mouth open. So here's where she tries to tie up loose ends. And this is great. We get to meet Trisha's mother uh, and her adoptive mother in this episode. Oh, took some time off. So maybe the fact that he took time off and went away is a clue that he was not Kilgraved in the previous episode where they're investigating um, his wife's death. He won't miss you. The only one he ever missed was Reva. Yeah, it's in the ground. It's great how Reva's a character without really being a character. Yeah, you can really be a character as a dead person. I don't expect him to forgive me. Which he should forgive her, because as soon as he experiences Kilgrave, he realizes that it's not Jessica's fault. Yeah, this is great. About burning bridges. I I should learn from this. I never, like, fully burn bridges anymore. I definitely did when I was younger, especially with girls and complicated situations, and to re-become friends with a couple of them, it took a lot of work. And I had to learn to swim or fly. That's great advice. Oh, this is... Oh, man. Yeah, it's just that Wendy... It it just has an annoying look to her face. You're so... Beautiful. You know, I mean... We need Hogarth focused on Kilgrave and Jessica, and so we kind of hate Wendy. Oh, here comes the blackmail. Still have the animal account. Uh-oh... And Pam didn't know about this. In her first big case, she cheated. Bribed a juror. You know, this. I don't think this would all hold up in court. I mean, you know, or certainly I'm getting her disbarred. Maybe. You're freakish thug. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, it, it was sickening. That's such an interesting response. I mean, it was horrifying, but also sickening the whole thing. I mean, that's the thing. I'm on Wendy's side morally, obviously. But you know that this is going to be bad for everyone. In fact, of the three people in this room, uh, Hogarth, while disbarred or at least uh, demoted by the end of the series, is in the least bad shape of the three ladies that were just there. Right, Pam lied about knowing secrets that she didn't know. So Pam's now getting alienated for similar reasons that Wendy got alienated because Hogarth, you know, is emotionally dead inside and just uses people who she claims to love. Here we go. Oh, this is awesome. So, you know, if you're watching the first time you don't know much about the show, we can tell that Trish was a child star. We know that there's been mentions of mother and not making Trish get defensive and upset when Jessica compares her to her mother. But this is great. You never see this. Stage parents. Stage parents who manipulate their little kids to get lucrative jobs in Hollywood, on television, and in theater. And there she is. This woman's awesome. Trisha's mom's a great character. Uh-oh. This is funny. Does, she doesn't even hesitate. She loves Jesse. is the thing. 
<laughs> God, this woman's been in a bunch of stuff. She looks so great for her age, whatever that is. Welcome to showbiz. Yeah, that's the thing. They need her more than uh, there's. It's Patsy. Uh, those people need need Trisha's mom. <laughs> you look done. <laughs> uh, yeah, start saving now. She's stealing from Trish. All right. Mmm, <laughs> drugs again. Didn't know that Trish did drugs. Makes sense with her with her crazy uh, brain. Yeah, her and Trish just through performance sell how long it's taken them to, you know, have control over this woman, and they just constantly insult her to keep her awake because she's so manipulative. You are an orphan. That's got to count for something. She's right. Have truths. You don't get credit for doing the right thing for wrong reasons. So the question is, why Jessica? Right. There was a scandal. I think. Yeah, the Patsy Walker brand. Thing is, mom believes her own lies. In some ways, she's more honest <laughs> though than the their two women are young women are. She doesn't need defense, right? Jessica's literally, and we'll see the flashback. Since they were kids, Jessica's been physically <laughs> keeping Trish away from her mom. You, you're her pimp, right? It's a small city. <laughs> oh, drunken messages. Sending drunken text messages. No matter where I am, even if I'm behind bars, which is where she wants to be. Uh-oh, here it comes. <laughs> Man, does she hate Mrs. Walker? People can change. I think we will see her change a little bit for the better in the second season. At the very end of this season, she... I got help in royalty checks. Oh, it was a scandal around her, and so she adopts Jessica to deflect, uh... Yeah, I wonder what the dad situation is, and we never hear about her dad, which I won't enforce. And all her... Right, so they're 500 feet... <laughs> right, it's just, there's not really a restraining order, but Jessica Jones is the restraining order. Jessica Jones from jail is scarier than any policeman. Oh, yeah. Taking you in was the worst decision of my life. Thanks, Mom. Uh... That's great. Thanks, Mom. What does that remind me of? Another oh, oh, right. Um, when Thanos... <laughs> uh, in the Guardians of the Galaxy, when Thanos orders... Uh, uh, what's her name? Nebula. He's amazing. Karen Gillan. You know, sort of insults her by saying that Zoe Saldana, a.k.a. Gabor's, um, is her... Uh, you know, favorite daughter. And Gamora's just like, thanks, Dad. Sarcastically, and this is ridiculous. Sexy walk away. <laughs> but that was Thanos. This is a little different. Uh, Trisha's mom isn't quite as evil as Thanos. Maybe close, but not. She doesn't have the Infinity Gauntlet. Although I guess Thanos at this point does not either. Yeah, he knows he can trust Trish. Right, hasn't done anything wrong. <laughs> How do you explain her plan? Oh, he he starts explaining it by explaining Ruben. Ruben and Robin. Can you imagine their parents? Yeah, I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to scream. We know it's coming. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. This is really horrible. Now, is it just the blood or is Ruben still there? He's in a bag, maybe. <laughs> You say you're right. Uh oh, she's got the gun. I mean, that's a natural reaction. Uh, he's in Jess's apartment. Dead guy. Malcolm's so relaxed, though. You know, going through the drugs and the Kilgrave—if you can survive it and get over it, you know, or at least deal with it—you know—it's one of those that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. If you can survive Kilgrave. Uh, you know, a deep intrusion ex over an extended period of time by by Kilgrave. Uh, <laughs> you're not quite as scared of death, I think, because during that time, half of you wants to die because you can't stop what you're doing. Here it is. 
you start hearing the music from the theme. This is uh, a very important moment of meditation for Jessica. Again, exactly halfway through the series, basically. Now, do we see the jump? No, she just pulls pulls open another lock. Right, yeah. Great sound work. And the thing is, you might think this is part of the mission, but the fact that we're hearing the theme music, here it is. Oh, yeah, baby. (sighs) Top of the bridge. Look at this shooting. I'm pretty sure this is the Brooklyn Bridge. Sorry if I get it wrong. The blue is throwing me off a little bit. They've really enhanced the uh, the blue color. They got a little blue filter going on this whole thing. Oh, this is glorious to hear the music. It, you almost have to use it because it's so great. You have to use it in some of the episode. I hate goodbyes. And she's the perfect actress and the perfect character to do the voiceovers like the old P.I. stories. That's the thing. It never feels cheesy because even though on the surface the, you know, pseudo-jazzy P.I. music sounds like pseudo-jazzy P.I. music, it's always, always well-composed and well-executed and interesting. Malcolm. Oh, he's bearing Ruben. And then she, oh man, I always forget what she does to Ruben. Yeah. Right. Jess wants to put herself away, like Trish says. Jess thinks she has a plan, and that's part of it. But if it doesn't work, then at least she's got herself away from the world. But to think that that's going to stop Kilgrave, he'll find another Jessica Jones one day, if if she dies or disappears. Right, you can't save hope from there. Oh, she's got a lead. She's working behind Jess's back. Simpson. Oh, Jess is not going to like this. Yeah, back off. I think, yeah, Simpson's men do get killed ultimately by Kilgrave. Well, that's a quite an image. <laughs> we both know you don't know the vacuum cleaner. But, um, I can't remember what I was thinking, uh, when I first saw this, this episode. I obviously didn't think she was going to go through with it, especially with the way she just keeps throwing around the word supermax, like she's an expert and has no idea what the fuck she's talking about, taking myself out of the equation. I mean, this is basically the suicide that's not a suicide. Her character would never commit suicide, although it's possible she tried to while under Kilgrave's spell, which in one of the, maybe the best exchange of the whole series, we're still a few episodes away from that, when her and Kilgrave remember a moment on the roof of a restaurant very differently. Yeah, the fact that Malcolm has to, uh, has to dispose of the body, man... Uh, he forces himself to look, which is the adult, but the very difficult part to do. I love this. That's all he says. A, be- a beautiful... Shit, I missed the exact words. A beautiful f- uh, funeral doesn't guarantee heaven, I think he said. You know, funerals are all obviously about the people still alive and not the dead person who has no idea that it's happening, and even if they're in heaven and looking down, I'm sure has other concerns. 
from the bedroom. So he can just, you know, hire teams of people for free. He's got the money anyways. But, you know, what they do brilliantly is starting now with all of these people working for him, you go, okay, he needs to give direct orders, sometimes complex and long orders, every 12 hours to anyone who he wants to control. And, you know, I mean, if you have a team of two dozen people, <laughs> he's going to spend all day giving orders. And that's kind of what he does. That's how he stays busy. He comes up with these intricate plans and he just constantly orders people around. And he is brilliant. And so in his head, he's keeping track. He's been doing this forever. You know, it's like uh, being a football coach. How do you keep track of 11 guys on the field um, or 22 guys on the field and a bench of like 60 plus your coaching staff and everybody else during a game? You know, Kilgrave is a, is a big time player. And yet still, all he wants is this girl. Her hatred of him is irresistible. (laughs) I can't believe she's going to do this. Oh, man. And Malcolm can't physically stop her. What's he going to do? This is a great image. I can't believe she did this. She's so desperate. Oh, man. I think I knew what was in the bag. And... This scene starts in a way that is mirrored by how shocking the ending is, Freeman. <laughs> oh, oh no! I've done some uh, Freeman. <laughs> right, like the handcuffs are going to do anything. Does she break the handcuffs? <laughs> She's impatient. She's going to spend her whole life in Superbex prison by herself with nothing to do, and she can't wait five minutes. <laughs> Mental incompetence. Supermax. She keeps saying Supermax and he calls her on it. Why do you keep saying Supermax? Right. Yeah. Yeah, she blames this on Jessica. Yeah. Yeah. She can't believe Hogarth's blaming Wendy on her. Yeah. Uh, I'll be representing myself. Hey, that's Freeman right there, baby. Seems you got no longer got a job, Miss Hogarth. <laughs> yeah, Freeman's definitely in the top three of The Wire. I often think about it. Um, I mean, you can't have The Wire without McNulty, but I don't know if he's in my top three. I think it's... uh. You know, Daniels, Freeman, and, uh, I don't know, Carver, maybe? Because Carver has a great arc. He's got a real arc from being a corrupt cop to being a very, you know, excellent and an ethical cop. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to be laughing. When you've seen the episode a couple times, I know where this is leading. Supermax. Not jail, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a top shelf pervert. <laughs> uh, this the show no, you know is able to stay funny even during its gruesome moments w- without it feel like you know like being disrespectful. Of what's going on <laughs> to expedite my incarceration? I want to rest. She slept there. He's going okay. There's more going on. Right, right. He's the perfect guy to do it. You'd think because of his age, he'd say, fuck it, let's just... But he can't help it. And we learn later that uh, from Simpson that he's kind of a legendary investigator. <laughs> See, she thinks she's a sociopath, but she's really not. She's she's very emotional. She loves people even though she'll never admit it and works hard to, to alienate people even though she loves them. But just because of trish specifically and now this sort of you know more general sacrifice for humanity at least as she sees it (laughs) freeman's not buying the the lie here super she keeps like super back yeah yeah she 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 makes more damage yeah yeah here yeah here she breaks it (laughs) 
Yeah, this is, the bending of metal is good effects. You can see that it's on hinges there. Yeah, it, it's almost better that it's pulpy, you know. The, the, the drama and comedy is so fantastic, you really don't need much action. Oh, uh, yeah. Kilgrave gets a whiff of it. <laughs> yeah. Even Hogarth's not this good. Here comes one of the great moments television ever. Oh my god. To to hold still like this is so nearly impossible. Now they're blinking, which proves that this isn't in slow motion, even if you could get a tracking camera this ridiculously fast. Yeah, I mean, these actors were cast for their look and their ability to stand still. You know, that's, you know, that's what casting's about. You know, 40% is getting the main cast right, and the rest is about extras and, and you know, partial players like Freeman here. Oh. So, right, this, right, so Freeman's the only one who hasn't been Kilgraved, so he remembers this, and that's why he, oh, shit. Oh, I can't believe it. I've totally forgot he was here. Yeah, you know I'd come for you. <laughs> Spies are easy to come by. He's so creepy. He's, but he's just like a child. Alright, so. Is there anything in this exchange? Right. Here it comes. Why don't you control me? I have no intention of controlling you. So he, this is the whole point of, of this, the series for the next few episodes. He spins this as, I want you to come to me of your own. You know, you're the one person I don't want to, you know, that's why I don't want to kill you. <laughs> I knew you were insecure. That's just sad. All right, look how convinced he is. Is he going to touch her? So he tries to spin it that you know that he could control her, but that he loves her. Oh my god! So okay, is she sensing anything here? This is this you know. For now, she's buying his lie that this is about you know her voluntarily you know falling for him or something. Demented declaration of love. This is great. This <laughs> She's the one thing that disarms him. That's what's great. Yeah. I'm the only one who matches you. Purple on purple or purple on blue. Yeah, this is it. This is the scary creeper stuff. You had to do it. But again, there's something very childlike and childish. Like right here. <laughs> That milk toast little man boy. <laughs> oh, what was the present? I forget. Oh, the, oh, it's like the keys or, or the address to the house. Yeah, he's. If someone annoys him, it's fully justified to kill them. This is one of the great all-time scenes, and, and you know, especially as played here by David Tennant. You know, he he can get up in her grill, and it's creepy, but not. Oh no. He's gonna he's ready to kill this entire police station for disrupting his little moment with Jessica. Um and right, and Freeman's the one that's unkillgraved. Need to see some physical rage. He gets other people to do his dirty work. It's important that he still has dangerous physicality. Right, fluorescent lights, cockroaches. And here's the thing that informs his character. He's really evil, but he's, he's, and he is insane, but the insane part of him is the sad part of him, where he is really troubled in having demons in his head. And then that informs the, the evil side of him, but he's not insane the way the Joker's insane, although there are some comparisons in terms of the nihilism. Right, you deranged prick. You've never loved anyone in your repulsive life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's now three-dimensional. This scene, David Tennant. Evil villain, you just want to know more about him. And that's the thing with great villains is you have to be repulsed by them because their performance is so good, but have just enough to hold on to that, you know, you don't want them to die, really. You want to string it out 
see the performance. You are the first thing, excuse me, person I ever wanted that walked away from me. He's giving her a huge hint here. Right, yeah. Exactly. He loves her hate for him. Yearning. Oh, man. In his mind, this is poetry. And there's so many, like we had with the phone call and now here, where he just talks to her for minutes and minutes and minutes and she says nothing while I'm here now. So, okay, Jessica is too smart and she remembers specifically that she was able to escape him. Now, I think the the idea is, you know, in her memory, uh, <laughs> Kilgrave's control over her stopped maybe because he got hit by the bus. That were inevitable. This is totally Smith Neo stuff. That's the thing about Smith and Neo. You know, Smith is like a psychotic, obsessed, uh, you know, uh, wannabe lover with Neo almost. Not in a sexual way, obviously, but no, the whole thing being inevitable that that the two opposites, mutually entailing opposites, come together. What does he have in here? Oh, he's got the head back in the bag. He's going to take the evidence, of course. And they, he scrubbed the video cameras. Uh, and this is so disturbing. <laughs> uh, and he has... Yeah, he needs a final word when you're ready. Oh my god, I'll see you at home. It's Look at him. He's just like a little kid. That's the thing. That's what makes keeps you with him just in terms of on screen <laughs> takes another look with the bag he's this guy's great look at that the wave oh man i, I gotta find other david Tennant stuff probably just does a lot of you know very well regarded uh, plays and movies oh okay so freeman is now under control but the difference is you know F- freeman was under control for a lot less time than everyone else there and he wasn't told to put his gun to someone's head and so he's going to have the easier time remembering, especially because he interacted with Jessica. He watched that entire exchange between Jessica and Kilgrave before Kilgrave Kilgraved him, I think. Th- these reverse strings or whatever they're doing are really, really fantastic. It's definitely, It's definitely like cellos or violins or something going in reverse i think yeah this is the the scary stalker stuff you know a lot of people describe this as as intense the show and it definitely is intense um you know daredevil was trying so hard to be intense that it didn't quite achieve it always here in a very Taoist way you know the river Always flows the easiest course downhill. Take the straightest uh, way between two points of filmmaking. And, uh, oh my god, he dug up her journal. I totally forgot about that. Uh, 96 to 99. Okay, so we know 99. Um, Wait, that doesn't make sense. I guess she's she's younger than supposed to be younger than in real life, um, because if she got in the accident when she was fourteen, that would have been ninety five if she was born in eighty one, which is when she was born. Because I know that because she was born like a month or two after me, um, so I think she's supposed to be like thirty or something like that. So, you know. Uh, you're you're trying to figure out at this point in the series you're like okay nothing has been excessive any weird side plot has been connected or seems like it's gonna be connected you know what's this whole thing with Robin you know where's this leading and what's great is you think it's gonna be about her you know not being able to come to terms with it but she's able she's actually able to come to terms with it before Malcolm and she helps Malcolm. You know, she turns out to be as good of a person as her brother in the end. You know, she's just really tightly wound and neurotic and controlling over her brother. Yeah. I mean, it's implied that maybe the brother-sister thing, there was some sexuality there. I won't go further on that, but they don't, you know. 
they just from personality types don't seem like that would even interest them really. Right, he can't take care of himself. I don't know if he's actually supposed to be a little uh, special or whatever. Yeah, and and that's the I mean, this is progress here for Robin. She's been calling her a, a bitch and a harpy though. Uh but yeah, she reverts back to it. Yeah, she doesn't blame JJ. Now she's blaming JJ. JJ and nods saying, "Yes, you're right. That's why I'm going to jail." Great, great shooting here, Ruben. Her only friend. Okay, so from the end of this episode, which is episode seven, till the end of episode nine, these two episodes back to back. Um, in terms of a bat, you know, a, a two episode sub arc, that's both the best and most important arc in the show. First at the house, and then when she kidnaps him, uh, are really only comparable to um, episodes, I think, three and four or four and five of season two of Homeland, where Claire Danes, you know, (laughs) gets Brody arrested and in jail where she wants him for being a terrorist or whatever, and flipping him over the course. Okay, here we go. She's reliving... Yep, right, she forgot her journal. She's moving in with Mrs. Walker. This actress is amazing. Yeah, thank you, Ms. Walker. I wonder if she ever had a husband. Look at this girl's look. The thing is, it's pretty close. It's close enough. Trish, yeah, I mean, again, you go with the blonde. uh, You see the marks on her neck. But the thing is, these two and their short flashbacks together have such great chemistry that you buy them as best friends just like you buy Kristen Ritter and Rachel Taylor. Oh, look, he's got the uh, suburban dad look on. He's got the, the blue pants, the navy blue v-neck sweater. Toned it down a little bit. You know, letting the hair fly around. Uh, he's. This is what's great. He's so convinced that this is happening. Um, he, You know, part of him knows that it's not going to happen as fast as he wants, but he really thinks... That he's gonna wear her down, and, and 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 he doesn't, you know. Eventually, in this show, he realizes that that's not the case, and tries to kill her, you know, and or run away from her. But in the meantime, ah well, I guess you needed this character, and you didn't want anyone who was like distractingly good-looking or even a great actor, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, you like Colin Farrell or something in that car. I was, you know, I guess there's a middle ground between Will. Uh, and uh, Colin Farrell. What does he say? Welcome home. Oh, uh, they don't even say anything. Oh, uh, it's so brilliant. Oh man, I remember. The, that's the thing. It, it was. It was just an excellent and fun series up to this point. But this was the first twist where your mouth just dropped to the ground. That she would voluntarily go into this house of horrors with him. And what's great is they set it up so she's going to be there. Numerous episodes. And really up until the end of the next episode, episode 8, you, you are thinking that, um, but it flips, and the capture becomes the captor. So, join me for episode 8, aka What Would Jessica Do, WWJD, um, and Bizzle's out. <laughs>